0: Every day, thousands of hackers try to steal your crypto. But Arculus uses air-gapped technology by forming a protective barrier that insulates you from hackers and secures your crypto. Order yours at GetArculus.com.
1: You know I'm right. Nick Durst here with Joe Calabrese. And Joe, it's well-documented on this show. That we are big wrestling fans. So I want to ask you, are you ready for the main event?
2: <laughs> well, you don't want to spoil too much, but uh, we're very fortunate that our guest today is one of the few voices uh, who we think and probably is synonymous. When you hear the brand and the name ESPN, uh, I spent multiple decades there. Uh, yes, he did have the main event segment on Sunday NFL Countdown. Uh, he was a longtime Sports Center anchor. Uh, got to do a, a lot of really, truly incredible, groundbreaking projects with the company. So we'll talk to him about that. Uh, he's quite possibly one of the funniest people who's ever been there, too. So uh, we're really, really excited to have him on, I get to pick his brain a little bit. Kenny Main. Kenny, welcome to the show. How are
3: you doing today? I'm well. I'm a little worried about the integrity of my computer when this is all over. I'm, I try to move outdoors because we have construction going on inside. The rain just stopped, but I'm seeing, but we're going to be okay. Let me, let me clean the lens. All right. Good to go. I think. Well, good to go. So Kenny, obviously every
1: time around this year, um, ABC, they're doing dancing with the stars. So everybody of course thinks about you and your epic season two appearance Uh by far, maybe the funniest contestant of all time. Always thought that we're going to do a 30 for 30 on this, but what went wrong with that disastrous cha-cha slide
3: that sent you packing? It was uh, misjudged. They didn't understand everything that I was trying to convey that day. There were, it was so deep, and there was so many layers to to what I was bringing. It was I was you know the the scene I think I've mentioned this before in uh, Back to the Future, where where Michael J. Fox is is playing with music ahead, and they can't understand it because he's too far in the future. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean, basically, if, if if you took that and then you put you, you fast forwarded to, um, you know, 2011 ish, you got Jersey Shore. If you put you in the club on that, you know, on that, on that <laughs> show, you'd be a, a bigger star than you already are.
0: Yeah.
3: Well, no, the real truth. I tried to tell my girl, uh, Andrea Hale, why don't we do something very small that I can master? And she's like, no, let's do something very difficult that you can't master. But they'll um, give you praise for your ambition, and it all—it all just backfired. I thought I was better than Master P. Good guy, we got along fine. But he—he he was just moving in like a four-foot box. He wasn't doing a lot. Um, so I probably deserved to be thrown off early, but maybe not first. But I really don't care. It's a long time ago. So how how did that come about for you? Were your boss
1: is like, "Hey Kenny, new show on ABC, season two. You're doing this," or did they ask if you want
3: to do it. Yeah, no, I got a call from an ABC executive who picked me out of a hat or something. I don't know. They, you know, it was a brand new thing at the time, right? They'd only done that one summer season that wasn't even really a true season. It was kind of like a summer replacement filler type show. And then this was the first fall show uh, where they really kicked it off. That was a long time ago. It was what, 2006 or something. God, oh my, God, that's a long time ago. But met some good friends along the way. Jerry Rice was there. Uh, Stacy Keebler was George Hamilton uh drew lachey i'm leaving out a bunch of others but it, it was fun it was fun while it lasted jerry and i did some more little shorts for that show for a number of years a little fake show we called dance center which was us analyzing the uh you know the remaining competitors as though it was a a big sporting event and yeah it was fun while it lasted yeah, unfortunately they don't get that many uh Bigish names
2: anymore so a lot of powerhouse names there including okay. kenny main <laughs> we want to take you further back now uh we want to take you back to the 80s uh, and we want to take you back to your days at unlv and then your time after uh, a lot of people probably don't do their research on you uh but you ended up signing uh with the seattle seahawks at for a couple of what was it a
3: year or two so uh, Well, it turned out to be one day, ultimately, because I felt sure. the physical. Uh, I was no big star at UNLV. I was second string, redshirted, and in 80, I was second string. I broke my leg really bad in a game against Oregon, which we'll, we'll tell you about later, turned into a good thing because we have a foundation for veterans now uh, who have the same ankle issues as I. But the next year, 81, was my last senior year, and a guy named Sam King was our starter. He led the nation in passing yards. He got offered to go to Seattle, but turned it down. He's going to do something else. And my coach was like, hey, you got to look at the backup guy. He wasn't you know, that far behind Sam. So I got to throw up in Kirkland, Washington. Steve Largent happened to be around the building that day, so he comes out to run routes. That's a pretty good asset to have on your tryout. Uh, but I ended up failing the physical. I never really played. I, I went to Cheney, which is where they used to hold their camp in eastern Washington, and they put me on this little machine to test. And I thought it was just like another – you know like running a 40 or doing bench press or whatever so i was like trying real hard i would have cheated i would have gone hard on my bad leg and soft on my good leg and they would have measured equal but i didn't know any better and they were like you know we can't pass you so i got into tv very soon after that and kind of worked my way up it took a little while but yeah it was very short-lived but it was fun it was fun just being out there for a minute so you mentioned getting into tv how was your time at kstw you
1: become ultimately the sports anchor there, uh, it seemed, you know, from, from everything we've heard that they gave you a lot of freedom to be yourself. And a lot of maybe other stations perhaps would have said, Hey, we got this, you know, cookie cutter way, traditional broadcast voice, you know, give your highlights, but how important was that for you, you know, building that foundation of your career to be able to be in a place where you can kind of, you know, do your thing.
3: Yeah. I mean, it was a smaller station. We were like, the independent no network affiliation it was the the station that showed old movies and they had the mariners contract for a while and Mash reruns and you know i mean it was that kind of like the local you know the fifth channel on your local tv guide back in the day um but it took me a while to even get on i started out as kind of a gopher and moved up and finally got a chance to be on the air the funny thing is i didn't want to do sports i always wanted to do news and more serious things and maybe eventually be on frontline pbs by this point in my career you know like be doing ken burns maybe not his level but like more serious documentary level stuff um but as i was doing news reporting at the little station they added a weekend show we always had the joke if there's news on the weekends it's news to us because they literally were monday through friday right um but they said hey you play football you're doing sports it was almost like that simple it was like (laughs) <laughs> expected that if you played athletics you know you must want to do sports which i didn't but once i started doing it it became pretty fun and i think it was to my benefit that it was a smaller place there were you know fewer constraints you know fewer bosses around like on the weekends literally there were like five of us putting a show together uh the two on-air people a guy named rod Simons, rest in peace um and me and, and the weather person and a handful of others you know it wasn't wasn't like, you know, you had to follow, you know, some, some dogma, you know, that you have to do it this way. It was just, hey, go do shows. Go have fun. So I got to kind of play around and figure out how to be on TV. It took, it took a little bit to kind of get in, you know, to get comfortable doing it. Talk like we're talking right now and not be all serious and, you know, being straight ahead. So I think that helped me in getting noticed by ESPN because there was a looseness to the environment where I was in Seattle and I remember the, the tape itself. It was the 1989 Super Bowl. Joe Montana to John Taylor on the left to right, little post at the goal line. They beat the Bengals. Remember, it was like a 90-yard drive or something. It was the same one where Joe Montana famously said, hey, look, there's John Candy, who was on the sidelines. At least that's, that's the legend. Uh, and He was trying to loosen up his team. So I had a particularly good show, at least I thought I did, that night, and I sent that to a guy named Al Jaffe at ESPN. And, you know, it took a little while, but I eventually got hired. Yeah, you send your, your famous note, and then
1: eventually in 1994, you come on across the country. Uh, your initial
3: thoughts of Bristol when you first get there? Um, you know, it's kind of a blue-collar factory town. You got the Stanley Tools, and you got uh, uh, the Otis Elevator Testing Tower right down the road, you know, a lot of donut shops. and and sand, what they call them package stores. That's, that's the, the term for the stores back here. Um, so I didn't know any better. I was just excited. I'm at ESPN, I signed whatever. I signed that about as quick as I signed the SEAC contract, right? Something I wanted to do, like, what is it? I'll take it, you know? Um, but I, I was nervous because I had not been on live TV for probably five years. I'd done a bunch of freelance stuff for ESPN kind of between the time I left that local TV job and finally got hired after I wore them down, I just, they'd call me up, Hey, go interview Ken Griffey, go interview Gary Payton, do these things that we're going to use to fill our shows back in in Connecticut. Long story longer ESPN two launched. And at the time they had uh, Keith Olbermann and Susie Colbert as the lead anchors on this new show. They had Stuart Scott, Deb Kaufman, and Bill Pito were the secondary anchors. If you will, they did the like little miniature updates. Keith went back to one to be with Dan Patrick. Stuart moved up to be next to Susie and they needed one more guy and there I was. So I remember my very first day, I, I couldn't figure out their computer system and the clock's ticking. I mean, I got in at, you know, one o'clock, two o'clock for a five o'clock start and and it wasn't all that much writing to do. I'm a pretty quick writer, but every time I thought I was saving it, it would disappear. And I didn't want to tell anybody because I was kind of embarrassed, like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here and didn't know any of these people, right? I'm brand new. They don't know me barely, right? I'm some idiot who was just recently you know, selling long distance for MCI, that was my last job before ESPN. And, and you know, the guy who begged his way in basically. And I literally had like a one minute, if I just run from the building right now, no one will know that I failed, right? I won't go out there and make a fool of myself. But I was like, all right, I came this far, I might as well do it. This girl named Julie Mariosh who was my producer, helped me out, put her hand on my shoulder, like, Are you okay? I'm like, not really, I don't know how to save this. You had to hit F7, I think was their savings. System on their old their old computer basis system I think it was called. Got out there and did my first show and it wasn't the best thing ever, but you know you're always better on your second day, so I stayed with it.
1: Yeah, Sports Smash, I mean, incredible cast of uh, of characters there. We had we had Bill Pito on our show, lucky to have him on, and he said you know he felt a lot of pressure between you know, Sean Oberman, you, Stuart Scott. Um, he felt that there was kind of like a, a race to, to come up with the best catchphrases. you ever feel any pressure for that and what was the origins of bring me your finest meats and cheeses?
3: Yeah, it's funny people you know I guess we did do that a lot and I even did it in my last years you know you'd come up with just driving down the road. I'd maybe see a sign on the side of the road or a billboard or something on the radio or you know a movie I watched the night before and here's this funny thing that I can now take and employ as a saying, to celebrate a home run or whatever it was going to be right um i don't know there was i mean there was a little competition like who who didn't want to be noticed or who didn't want to be thought of as doing a good job but it wasn't like oh he did a good catchphrase i gotta think of a new one it was more they just kind of happened you know and then you use some of them repeatedly that you really liked or that just kind of fit you know just stewart just saying the word peace made me laugh every time guy hit a home run he just go peace you know, and it was very small, but it was funny. Like, it always made me giggle. Um, the one you referenced was from an old friend who passed away, Warren Thomas. I played football with him in JC. He's from uh, Albany, California. Uh, and and he was a crazy funny guy. He became a stand-up comedian. He always said, like, in even in JC, like, I'm going to be a stand-up comic. And we almost thought he was saying that as a joke. Not like that really was going to be, you know, his vocation turned out he, he did and he he came up with a lot of the big names you know Chris Rock and Carvey and all these guys and and played in a lot of those shows and he had this bit about when you got your student loan how powerful you feel when that check comes in so he had this thing where he, he he'd extrapolate from that like I am king of the dorms let there be Cheetos for all my men you know and so it was sort of an adaptation of that I am king of the diamond let there be a clubhouse feast bring me the finest meats and cheeses and all the land and and doing it i just walked through it that was a walk-through rehearsal i don't know if i have the energy this morning like you really got to do it like you can't just half step that one so i ended up reserving it only for grand slams that seemed like the only time that it was appropriate to really make this giant pronouncement but there are a million others you know there's just funny things that would you know happen in everyday life and you'd find a way to kind of transfer that or, or you'd watch like i said like there was a a line i was watching a silent movie one night and at the bottom of the screen it said i am Golthar the terrible what have i to fear from rome and i just like that that's it that's a home run call just some Aaron judge cranks a 500 foot homer that's the thing to say so uh and there were a million of them for nba you know good marijuana references here and there you know roll one light one for three or or put one in the air for three uh backing in a guy, backing down a guy at the, at the glass, you just say medicinal, you know, just say anything, just say a couple words or a single word that kind of punctuates the thing that just happened. And those who get it, get it. And other people are like, what did you say? You know, like you don't, you don't worry about everybody. You Hopefully those who get it, you're, you're playing to them.
2: It seems like everybody at that time period had some type of really elaborate personality and you could go on and on about, somebody like Stuart Scott, rest in peace, his catchphrases and all that. Uh, Did you guys realize how entertaining and and unique you were? And and did you realize that was going to translate into other areas of the company, Uh, especially like the This Is Sports Center commercials? Because I believe you were in a few. Obviously, Stuart Scott was in a bunch. Uh, Oberman was in a few. I think Dan Patrick was in a few. I know Rich Eisen, Staten Island guy like Nick and I, he was in one or two. So uh, did you guys realize that that the, the personalities that you all had, we're gonna bleed over, and you get you're gonna get to do more stuff within the company regarding that.
3: Yeah, I mean, it took a while to recognize it, but but the phenomenon that kind of Sports Center and the whole became in the whole culture. You know, there were references and rap songs about it. There were movie references to it, right, all the time. You'd see that, you know, the guy I want to watch Sports Center. You know, like that would be a line in the movie. Um, so yeah, we saw that happening, but I never thought, oh boy, I'm such a big deal. You know i was just trying not to screw up the show basically each show is so unique and so different and you're tired from the last show you know you just you, you wake up you eat you work out you go back in and do it again and again and again so for, you know it's like the old what's the the doctor's oath you know about you know physician's oath about first do no harm right like like get the names right get the scores right which i think we did most of the time we certainly tried to we didn't always you know prevail there but Um, other than that, it was once you got the basics, then try to have fun and try to entertain the room. Like literally like your researcher, your co-anchor, your camera person, your audio person, like make them laugh or make them be entertained. And hopefully, you know, that then translated to people sitting on their couch, watching at home or watching in bed or whatever. Um, it was strange to me, especially with a little separation from it, kind of looking back at people how people view that era especially that the the part you're talking about the late 90s and early 2000s cuz back then you know people didn't have access to all the games right there people didn't have the immediacy of knowing on their iphone you know here's the result of some game in a different market so we really were bringing people this fresh news that no one had ever heard or very few people had ever heard at least now it's different and you know the show's still a good show that they're doing but the information is now known so it's not quite the big reveal that it was back in the day. I mean, things evolve, but yeah, it's kind of weird looking at it in that sense when people reference it as being this big piece of Americana or whatever, but um, you know, I guess we had some part in that, but I, I never got was full of myself for being a part of it. It was more like, all right, go try to have another good show.
1: Angie's List is now Angie. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of good memories and shows and stuff. Big catchphrases. I mean, the one that usually comes to mind for most people is Steve Levy's catchphrase, bulging disc. Just wondering, how long after that did all of you anchors just rip him and, and remind
3: him of that? It It's still, I mean, there's a handful of those little <laughs> moments if people go back to the tape that's you know, it was so funny. That wasn't, I wouldn't call that a catchphrase. That was uh, a an error he didn't quite say bulging disc it was an injury report and he said something else but and i remember seeing it because <laughs> oberman was with him and oberman started laughing so hard that his glasses fogged up and he couldn't read the next story He had to hold the script about an inch from his face to get through it um but don't, honestly that's that's like the you know that's the height of that of an error that makes everybody fall apart um, and then you recover and you try to get back on, you know, you get back on the tracks. But that was the most fun of the worst part of the job. That was the most fun. And by that I mean when you had to stay late and and a game's going 20 innings out on the West Coast and you can't leave till it's over. It's like 312 in the morning on the East Coast. You're just you you're so exhausted you can literally barely say a sentence. And you have to get through that last part of the show and clean up the back end of the show so they can put the show to bed and rerun it in the next day, right? Because in the old days, the 1 a.m. Eastern Sports Center, 10 o'clock on the West, ran for 12 straight hours. It ran live. Then the next hour was sort of mostly, mostly on tape, but a couple fixes. And then the last hour was fixing any mistakes. And back then, we didn't know how to fix our mistakes as quickly as we learned how to do. We used to fix mistakes more recently, like in the commercial break. If I said the hockey guy's name wrong, they just say, just say this last name, just say that word. And they were digitally able to just, right? Just stick that last name, the correct way to say it on the back end of the sentence where I screwed it up, right? In the old days we were using like two inch tape in the tape room and they had to find like a perfect edit point to marry the two things together to clean up the show to run it the next day. And oh my God, it, it was laborious. And you're just like, you're hanging on by a thread. You're so tired. You've worked five nights in a row and it's three in the morning. Uh, so the, the laughter that would come from that, where we would just literally fall apart, you'd say one word and make the guy fall apart and have to do it over and over and over. Some people didn't fully enjoy all the humor of that. Cause they just want to go home, but you got to keep it up, right? You can't, if you're on the set, you can't be like dragging and look like you're mad or look like you're frustrated. You got to keep whatever the best energy you have at three, 12 in the morning. So that the audience sees that you're doing a good show, right? Even if you're completely screwing it up. How relieved were all the producers, cameramen, uh,
1: audio engineers, and anchors when Sports Center LA launched? So
3: you don't have to deal with that anymore, as, or it's quite as often. Well, uh, those who got to move to LA liked it even more than those who didn't. Um, you know, that would be Stan and uh, uh, I'm sorry, Neil Everett and Stan Verrett. Um, They and they've had a great run out there. They've had some other people mix in. I got to do that for a little while because I moved back to Seattle where I was doing other things. I was flying around doing the wider world of sports and football stories and horse racing and the magazine. I had all these different things that I, I wasn't doing sports center for like a seven or eight year period. But then they were like, hey, we want you to go back and do some sports centers. And the best way to do it was fly down to LA, fill in for one of them, do three days, five days, whatever it was. So yeah, like a bad night in LA, you're done at midnight which really isn't bad. A lot of people go to bed at midnight, you know, in their regular jobs um, where they have to get up at seven or eight in the morning. Um, bad night in Bristol. It's three, four. I think the world record was 7. AM. Literally people stayed, came in at like six o'clock at night and stayed till seven the next morning, because I think there was an Australian open. I think that's what it was. It was me and Brian Kenny. And we, I think we did scissors, paper, rock, too had to stay later. He, he wanted to stay, Because he was the new guy. And I was like, dude, they'll remember it for like one day. Like, let's be fair. Well, I call it scissors, paper, rock. I think others call it rock, paper, scissors. But um, he lost or he volunteered something. And he and I think the audio person, producer and director, like four people stayed all the way till the damn match ended. Um, But more typically, you know, shows on at 1A, over at 2, a couple fixes, usually are out the door by 2.30. But that's still pretty late. You know, they used to have, there was a short period of time as when I first came to ESPN, actually, when I was on ESPN too, mostly they had a two 30 in the morning. There's a half hour, two 30 to three. That was the show and 1130 out in the West. Right. So, I mean, every show that ESPN was doing was meant for different region. Right. There's, you know, the, the six o'clock Charlie Steiner, Bob Lee, that's the East coast six o'clock, you know, up against Walter Cronkite kind of thing. Right. Um, and then the 11 was dan and keith that was the this these games are just ending or the west coast are still going then there was the one most games are all over we have to stay for the late games that aren't quite over so each one had a purpose and then at some point uh i assume because it made more money but it didn't fully ever make sense to all of us where they added more shows they had a super early morning show and a noon show and it was like that 1am show kind of covered you like nothing else happened Now, if something big happened, it made sense to jump in, you know, and and report on OJ or something. But um, other than that, like, the games are over, and the games don't start again until the next night at 7. So it it became – it was on a lot. I I, I could imagine, you know, especially during,
1: you know, when there's a lot of sports going on, hockey, basketball, everything's mixed, you're probably coming in, you have a production meeting. Let's say you're doing 11 o'clock sports center. Maybe you'll have a rundown, but I'm assuming it all kind of maybe goes out the window some to, to some extent because you're kind of reacting to what just happened at the
3: game's ending, especially if you're on while there's West Coast games going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, the bane of our existence was when they had a four o'clock or even earlier. We got smarter through the years, but they used to meeting so far ahead of like three o'clock for the 11 o'clock. I was like, dude, the games going not start till seven or eight. We don't know what's going to happen in those games, right? We, we can have a meeting all day long, but we can't tell you what's going to happen because the games are the games. And yes, they had to have some planning for certain things. There's a, there's a big story, you know, like the serious ones. But as far as the nights, which were most nights, right? Most nights, I'd say eight out of 10 nights are just a bunch of games and interviews and stats, right? That's most nights. Sometimes serious things happen and we have to cover them. And, and good that most of us had some journalism background to, to do the serious things the serious way. But our favorite thing was just doing, let's just have a massive highlights of all the cool shit that happened, right? Here's all the games, here's our catchphrases, here's our stats, go to bed. Um, and you can't predict, like you said, what's gonna go down. Like I remember, there were, were there like 40 no hitters this year in baseball. Remember the first two months, there, there was some just absurd amount, like every other Not night there's a new no hitter. And there was a night, this kid named Evan was producing, did the greatest job, literally one minute before air. One minute, like we're looking at the clock, it's 59, and we're on it at the top of the hour. The no-hitter gets completed, and he just, in that next 60 seconds, here's what we're going to do. We're going live to the stadium. You say there's been a no-hitter. Then we're going to try to line up the interview. If we don't have it, we're going to go to the score panel. If we don't have it, we're going to go to Tim Kirk, you know, Like he spit out a bunch of stuff, and we just had to kind of like in our ear go, okay, I'm ready for any of these five things. Whichever happened, I will do. Give me two seconds' notice, right? You have to be that immediate and have, you know, good instruction, you know, from somebody you can count on. And we pulled it off. Like, it was like, guess what? The fifth no hitter of the season is just completed out in San, you know, wherever it was. And then they got the, he's, he's ready to go stall stall, you know? So we start reading the score panel. This is the, you know, 15th time that this team is blah, 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 you know? And then you kind of like bleed out that panel. Now he's ready. He's ready. All right. Welcome. us. Now is the latest no hit, you know, and it makes it look like you practiced for it. If you do it right. And even if you do it a little wrong and it's a little sloppy and people know, you know, it's real life, the shot's not perfect, you know, the mic's not working yet, whatever the case is, you just kind of like have faith that you got people who are looking out for you. Like my producer is is never going to put me in a place where I've literally, what am I doing? I have no idea what, you know. And if that happened, I would say I have no idea what I'm doing. I would probably just, (laughs) um, I think people, regular people who, who are watching nightly, you know, especially during the pandemic when people are using Zoom and whatnot and FaceTime to do interviews, I think people kind of accepted that it was a little bit looser, Um, but on regular cleaner nights, you know, where those things shouldn't be a problem, you know, you just do your best. Like I said earlier in the interviews, like, you know, first do no harm, try to do it right, and then try to do it entertaining. So ultimately, I think we did both things most of the time. We weren't perfect all the time, but you know, you get another whack at it. I always said, I remember when, one time, way back when being called in because they didn't like something I was doing. And I remember just my line to them was, if you decide to keep me, I promise I'll make more mistakes, as will you, right? Like, I, you know, we're all human. We're all gonna make mistakes, you know? Jerry Rice dropped a ball once in a while, right? Like Like everybody screws up now and then, and you try to recover. Me personally, I kind of go a different way. I like to bring up the mistake that I made about 19 more times, I think it's funnier. Because if somebody's really watching your whole show, they're catching all of your little things you're saying along the way. You don't get that audience every time. Sometimes you only get people who click in for 12 minutes. They're not getting your reference to something that happened 48 minutes earlier, but I always kind of look at it. Like I hope somebody watched beginning to end, just like how they used to watch Lassie from start to finish. You know?
2: And those people grew up, had children and their children are running around on Twitter doing the very, very same things 15, 20 years later. So yeah. you don't have to worry. Uh, it's live TV. That's the beauty of live TV. You guys were exceptional, uh, big part of Nick and I in our childhood. Uh, but I want to ask you about a particular opportunity uh, because you were approached to do a, uh, a daily show style uh, satire, comedic sports news program uh, for Comedy Central. So I wanted to ask you what the name of that show would have been uh, and did you really have any interest in
3: doing it? Yeah, it was, uh, man, I can't tell you the year, a long time ago. Was it 20 years ago? I don't even remember. All I remember is Jimmy Kimmel, who's a friend, called me up and said, hey, I got a friend named Daniel Kellison, and he wants to create a, like a sports center on Comedy Central. So they have the Daily Show, right? And they wanted to then have the companion show be this half-hour sports show. And, and so he told me, he, Jimmy's saying, he told me he's looking for a guy like you and I said, "Why don't you just call him instead?" So Jimmy cut right to the chase. So Daniel and I became friends, started talking. We start. We had a couple of meetings. Um, he had a great plan. Like it was a, it was a good show. It was like he had it all laid out. It was ready to go. And we approached them about it. Had a couple of meetings, and it just never happened. You know, it just for whatever reason. They, they. But yes, I would have. I don't know what the title would have been. Uh, TV sports show. I probably would have gone really minimalist. Now. Uh, <laughs> Norm McDonald, who just passed away, he ended up doing a version of that. I don't know if it was the same, you know, precisely. I don't know how long they ran that. You know, he obviously would have been great doing that for a long time. Um, and he, uh, that's just, man, that's just a week ago, whatever, I, it was, it's crazy. Uh, yeah, he has missed, he was he was smart and funny guy. Great pick for a show of that caliber. Um, but at the time, the one that I was gonna do, it just, it just never happened. I can't explain, a lot of things, Start to happen and don't happen. I've, I've run into that scenario more than once. You know, people call you, hey, would you like to be in the such and such campaign? And then, you know, monthly, oh, yeah, we were going in another direction. So so you can't ever really count on things to happen until everybody's signed and you're really heading there, you know.
1: Yeah. And you're stuck in the entertainment sphere there. You're, you're in a cult-like uh, classic movie, Basketball. You and Dan Patrick was wondering how much of those lines there did you improvise or or are they telling you, yeah, say, you know, if no clear winner emerges, there's going to be a two man sack race held on consecutive Sundays until champion is crowned. How much, how much
3: freedom is there? I'm pretty sure that was their line. I wouldn't want to take credit. That was, that was, they wanted to make, for those who don't know, it was us doing a sportscast about this crazy game, it was this hybrid game. And then we were going to explain, you know, things in the most obscure and complicated way to make it funnier. Hopefully that was the joke. Um, but yeah, it is definitely a cult thing because like some people never heard of it. Other people think it's the funniest movie ever. Other people are like, what the hell is that? You know, so you get a little of everything. It was fun just being asked. Like I remember, you know, that we got this call. Hey, these guys want you to be fly. I think it was in LA. Fly out and, you know, one day at work, probably take three or four hours, whatever it was. So yeah, I think that one, most of it was pretty scripted. We They let us play around some. There's been others where it's more like, here's a framework, now do whatever you want. Like, I got to be in, uh, well, I was in it until I wasn't in the movie Trainwreck. Really? So, uh, yeah, really? Judd, Ap- Judd Apatow was, I'm in the DVD extras. No. So, wow. So I, how about that? I still get these small quarterly checks, you know, for my participation. But I was so sad because I thought the bits worked. And they even told me, they said, no, we loved how it came off. And you could feel it in the room as you're doing it, um, but it just didn't work. You know, in the final cut, my little section didn't help move the film along. Apparently, um, but Judd was like, "All right, here's what I want you to do." Amy Schumer was the star of it, right? And and Hader was her boyfriend, right? Hader playing the boyfriend, the doctor, and it's a doctor's uh, without borders convention, I think, or dinner where he's going to get some award. And she's kind of being left in the side, so she's like, what am I doing here? I'm bored. And, and just go up and start hitting on her. I said, really? Like Just anything I want? Like, what What do you want me to do? Like, just be yourself, have fun with it. Like, there was no script. Like, just go do it. I had like a minute. And I didn't know what was coming. I, it was all kind of like, all right, you're next in five minutes. Here's what we're gonna do, little 10 second meeting. So I think I said something like, um, are you a doctor's wife or a prostitute? Or is there really a difference? And then I followed up with something else. I acted like creepy old guy. I mean, that was my role, right? And she, I even apologized. I, I hope I wasn't, just, it takes a lot to offend me. Don't worry, you were fine. You know. And the scene worked fine. And then I did another one with, with uh, Tony Romo and Amari Stoudemire and uh, said some other ridiculous things there. So there were two different parts I did. Got to fly to New York. I remember I got the call like on a Monday. Can you be in New York on a Wednesday, like this Wednesday? Yeah, we just thought of this. We thought you'd be perfect for this little section. And I said, if you can fly my daughter as well, I'll do it. Because I had my daughter with me that week. And I didn't want to, hey, I'm going to go to a movie. Go back to your mom. You know I mean? I wanted to keep Riley with me. So they said, sure. So they flew us back to New York. Stayed at the, uh, what's that place? Fancy Hotel. It's on Fifth Avenue. It's by Central Park. What's it called? The Pierre. The Pierre. They shot it in the the ground floor of the Pierre. So it was it was fun doing it. Um, and it's fun being invited into those types of situations where we, we like you for a certain reason. We wrote something, but if you want to play around with it, have fun. I mean, that's how I handle most often when I'm asked to do like a commercial, you know, like here's kind of the, the basis of it, do the line the client wants. Usually I like to slip in the line. I like early, not late, but that's my own method. Like, cause if, if you do their line 17 times in a row, Okay. Have fun with it. Do whatever you want. It's not as funny because now they know you're going to make up something different. So I like to go like take two or three. I'm going to give you my new stuff early <laughs> and then you hope they keep it. Uh, sadly. And, and there's a whole bunch of companies I work with that have turned out great. I've had a great time. Just, I did one for Olipop, free shout out. Um, Duluth trading. They've been great. You know, like certain companies are a little more out on the edge than others others are kind of like that was funny but we're going to stick with the one that most people will get as opposed to your absurdities
0: COVID-19 is still around but that doesn't mean the Army ROTC programs are not there for you earn scholarships for school and pursue the career you want the leadership developing Army ROTC classes will give any full-time student the focus and resources that can open doors down the road start sharpening the skills that will carve out your future today learn how at GoArmy.com slash ROTC Army ROTC, now accepting college scholarship applications. Visit goarmy.com slash money for college. Every day, thousands of hackers try to steal your crypto. But Arculus uses air-gapped technology by forming a protective barrier that insulates you from hackers and secures your crypto. Order yours at getarculus.com.
3: Well,
1: obviously you have great acting chops because... You got your own web series, Main Street. Uh, very funny series presented by NyQuil. And with many saints of Newark coming Appreciate out that, now,
3: Michael.
1: I need to ask you about episode 14, where you're at Bobby Flay's restaurant with the Sopranos
3: cast. What was that experience like? <laughs> well, that was, well, I was friends uh, with Bobby for having done some other stuff with him. So I could, it was kind of hey, Bobby, can we do a really ridiculous thing over here? And it was good promotion for him. He gets on there in his restaurant and the whole deal sopranos i would worked with uh on a football story first right so i already knew some of them going in made the ask as well the the premise of it was that i was a bobby flay's uh bar americana right in in uh up, upper is it upper east upper west whatever it is in the 50s somewhere um and i'm getting comped with my friends who my, my cast members from main street And then the Soprano guys are sitting at the bar. First, they misidentify me, like, is that Dan Patrick? And then (laughs) then they're, like, pissed. The premise is they're pissed that I'm getting free food and they're not. So they come up and sit at our table. Uncle Junior was hysterical. Uh, You know, he's, like, ordering a filet mignon. I want you to throw it away. Now I want you to bring me another one. Give me two to go, you know, like. And and they played totally, you know, to type, right? They were playing like they were from the show. Um, That was fun. I also had Sopranos in a different one where we did a remake of the last episode of the sopranos for NFL countdown and we shot it in Dallas we had Mark Cuban was in it Tony Romo was in it uh Witten was in it uh Dallas Cowboy cheerleader played the role of Meadow having trouble parallel parking outside the diner like we even got the uh, journey song cleared for five grand or something so no it's it's always fun doing something a little different than the normal nothing against sports Center that was fun too but you know, you've done that 10 million times. Getting to work with Sopranos, you've never done. Or I got to work with Stevie Wonder a couple times. That was probably, or not probably, certainly the top of my list. Um, but you mentioned that being episode 14. The first one, Nothing Against the Others, probably still stands as my favorite. It was Scott Van Pelt and me and uh, Allison Becker played my producer. And I keep having trouble. I was talking about it earlier in this about the fixes, right? Staying yeah. late to to clean up the sports center. He had a couple of errors and you got to make it right for the rears. And in this episode, I can't say Rafa Nadal's name correctly. I just keep calling him different names and Scott's like just losing patience with me. It's worth looking up. If you look up main street, two words, uh, and put fixes F-I-X-E-S. I X C S you'll, you'll see that episode. Uh, that was our very first one. It also kind of set the tone for how stupid the show was going to be. And the interplay between us all, uh, John Glazer, uh, played video cowboy, great comedian friend. He he's in there. I mean, we basically staffed the entire cast of Parks and Rec, right? We had uh, Allison and Glazer. We had Ben Schwartz. Um, uh, I'm leaving out Aubrey Plaza, who, who was a, a big a big role in that. There, there's many others. Who else do we have? Uh, Chris Smith was great. Lenny Jacobson. Mulaney was in one. Uh, what's her name? Um, whose name? I'm, I'll, I'll come up with it. I might I might or might not come up with it. I'm forgetting her <laughs> name. Kate uh, McKinnon. Um, so yeah. Gordon Carlos is good. Yeah. We, we've, we, we had a bunch of people who were really good at a young age and kind of, you know, they all were destined for other good things. We just happened to, maybe we were just in their way before they could get to a better thing. But at the time they are like, Oh, cool. ESPN comedy show. I'll do it. You know? So like, it was a good thing for them. I'm sure they didn't get paid what they were worth, but, um, the funniest part when we did the tryouts kind of like walk through some reads to figure out who was gonna be in stuff, um Allison just fit perfectly to be my producer slash friend slash sister slash whatever, right? You know, my my buddy that got me through. And then Aubrey Plaza comes in and she was very good, obviously, but just didn't seem quite right for the thing we wanted Allison to do. And then I was like, well, why don't we just make up a new role? She's too good not to use. And so we just made up a new job. She became allegedly in the show, like my senior boss, like a kind of another suit that, you know, ruled over me. So she wasn't in the day to day with me. She'd pop in and reprimand us for something we had done wrong. But yeah, they're all friends and they're all doing great. And I'm happy for them. They all left me behind. (laughs) I know. It's super cool.
2: Uh, Because of your offbeat stuff, other opportunities came across your plate. And we briefly touched on it before with the wider world of sports. Now that is one of the coolest things that I can imagine doing in sports because uh, you tell somebody, Oh, you're going to travel around. That's awesome. You tell somebody you're going to travel around the world. That's even more cool. And then you tell somebody, Oh, I'm going to cover the most offbeat, wacky, ridiculously different uh, different type of sporting events uh, that are included in that, now you have me hook, line, and sinker. So uh, was there any place in particular that was your favorite to travel to? And, and were there any uh, events that you covered while you were doing the wider world of sports that really kind of took you off guard the first time
3: uh, you went and visited that country? Yeah. I mean, they, they were all great. It's funny how that started. Main Street, the show we were just talking about, it was rumored in the building, they were done with it, we'd done, they liked it, but it just, they weren't gonna go on with it for no real explanation. So I went into John Skipper, the old president at the time, um, who I'm working with on something right now, um, and, and just said, hey, can I throw out a nomination of something I'd like to do if it's, if we're gonna replace the thing I was doing, right? Because that was in my contract to do X amount of days toward this internet thing, whatever it would be, right? And they quickly agreed like they they liked the idea like immediately and said, let's start planning for it. So we did. And it got I thought it got better with each trip. We kind of learned how to work together, had a great crew, uh, my producer, Matt Doyle, and all the guys from DGA, Aaron Fruitman and, uh, and, and Mike was out there, uh, Andrus. Um, we went to God, we went everywhere. We, I mean, we went to England and Ireland, which were kind of easy, the English speaking countries didn't take us too far removed, you know, like we could relate. Then it was more fun actually going to where we didn't know the language. We needed a minder, you know, we needed an interpreter to help us out a fixer. I I think they called it. Sometimes we needed security, certain places, you know, Um, I'd say my favorites were the Palio in Italy, which is a horse race in a town square. Um, It's three laps around a town square and there's a crazy 500 year history to it. All these little districts in the town of Siena, Italy, this race means the world to them. You know, their horses out there representing their little district. Like you got the owl district and the unicorn district. And we were with the unicorns at the time. Um, And you watch this incredible event, 50,000 or more people crowded into a public square, just going crazy for three, you know, the whole thing takes five minutes, but the buildup to it is crazy. It's like two weeks of parades and songs and festivals and these dinners with picnic tables that go like 200 yards for the whole village, you know, uh irish road bowling stood out that was that was fun right up my alley throwing things they take an iron ball and two guys from two little towns meet together with the the townspeople kind of following them on these beautiful hillsides in ireland they got to throw an iron ball a mile and a quarter and it's like golf like one guy throws one guy throws and who's ever out you know who's ever farther away he now throws the other guy throws and they They just keep doing it until they go a mile and a quarter. And our, our match was so close. They had the same amount of throws. So we became who threw it more past the line. Like that became the, the uh, tiebreaker. Uh, We did Mui thai in Thailand. We did elephant polo. I slid down a volcano in Nicaragua. I took a helicopter on a mountain in South Africa and hit a golf ball to a green, which was shaped like Africa. Um, Hornusen in Switzerland. It's like a golf game, but they have people in the outfield holding up a cheese board, knocking down this little triangular hornet thing. They, I mean, we, we, I'm leaving out stuff. We, we taught kids how to play football in Brazil. I met Ronaldinho in Brazil. Uh, I'm just like running through all the crazy. I, I know I'm, oh, canal jumping in Amsterdam. You know, like basically it was it was something they used in warfare. They had to get across canals, right, to get to the other side, to set up their defense. And then it became a sport, sort of like pole vault meets long jump you know they they put the pole in the ground they kind of climb it and then as it's falling they jump off for a long jump on the other side so that was fun that was like three years of you know however many trips we took we'd kind of do two together and work on the edit and put them out and it was also kind of more serious too like there were some jokes and some funny moments but we really were doing like short little documentaries about come and see this little town in this middle of nowhere and look at this crazy thing they've been doing for 200 years and tell the history of the sport and the people. So yeah, that was, that was a blast. The third year we actually just did it in the U S and so we did mud football in New Hampshire and demolition Derby with motorhomes in Costa Mesa, California. The day before I was supposed to shoot that I was body surfing. And I got a concussion in uh, Laguna beach. So Matt, my producer had to fill in and be the driver. He's scared of clowns and we didn't tell them to do this it's just the universe works in strange ways all of a sudden a clown from the festival or the 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 park decided to jump in the back of his motor vehicle so that's that's available on the internet as well so I mean it was three really crazy fun years of doing exceptionally stupid things and interesting things so I'm glad I got to do it yeah definitely fun definitely very comedic and
1: speaking of comedic you know you used to be Jerry Seinfeld's guy a uh, bit of a falling out when the B movie came out in 2007 uh, obviously you know he's, he's a big Mets fan but did you uh, kind of get over it because another big Mets fan Chris Rock ended up endorsing you and your books at the celebrity softball game where of course you were a staple uh, and you know celebrity softball I think that was, that was you. Were, you were the celebrity softball game. Uh, you almost took out Whoopi Goldberg with an Aaron throw. Uh, what was some of your well, it was a good
3: highlights? throw? It wasn't a bad throw. It was that I shouldn't have thrown it that hard to Whoopi Goldberg. It was an outfield throw. I don't know why. I told Billy Crystal was the other guy. Like you, you take all the throws. Somehow Whoopi stood there and I was like, oh my, I I realized like, oh my god, I'm gonna kill Whoopi Goldberg. You know, fortunately, I think it went slightly over her head. Um, no, those were fun days. They they asked me. Uh, the very first one was back in Seattle where I'm from 2001. Harold Reynolds was the manager of one team. I was the manager of the other team. And yet, you know, it was just comical. Like I was a decent football player, very average uh, at other sports, but I could throw a softball still. Um, and just to be standing in the outfield and like Fred Lynn's over there and there's Ricky Henderson and, you know, just how stupid is that that I'm standing on the field with these, you know, great legendary players. Then you had all the so-called celebrities that you know joined in, and they, they were fun to have. Uh, Jeff Ament from Pearl Jam played in the, in the first one. Uh, they're playing, I don't know when this is running. What day is today? It's Friday as we tape this. I think they're playing uh, tomorrow in California. Um, so yeah, it was, it was fun doing it. It was also kind of overwhelming because I was, as the manager, I really did have to kind of keep track of who got in, who am I shifting? Uh, you need to come out. You need to bat, you know, like make sure everybody got to play. I almost forgot to put Jessica Beale in the game. I threw her in the last two pitches. Um, my friend Otis would be my my manager, my like my bench coach, I guess, you know, make sure that I was keeping track of stuff. Um, the funniest part of that, that first one, I think it was the first one. Um, uh, Jonathan Lipnicki from uh, Jerry Maguire movie. Right. Played a little kid. So he's on our team, and in the clubhouse, I'm telling people, because we had like 17 people, you know, only, only 10 play at a time, trying to explain, you'll start, you'll play here and there. And I tell Jonathan, Ozzie Smith will start at shortstop. You'll back him up, okay? He's like, yeah, no, I got you. And, and, and so I, I was, you know, putting my mic on or doing something. I wasn't really paying attention. I look on the field. Ozzie comes running out, does his cartwheel and his flip. And all of a sudden, Jonathan Lipnicki is standing behind him. He took me quite literally. And thought he was supposed to literally stand behind Ozzy Smith the whole game. We uh, just we just left him there. It, it it made more sense at that point. Um, but yeah, those were good days. You mentioned the Seinfeld. Yeah, Jerry. Uh, what mag? It was a magazine, like a Hollywood type magazine. And he gave me a, a very nice little quote, little piece of praise, like somebody he liked on TV at the time, something to that effect. And then he, I can't remember the the chronology of it. He endorsed somebody else as now being the funniest. Baseball, guy. baseball tonight. The yes. all right guys, Yeah. So I, as a joke, pretended like Jerry and I had a beef. I don't think we do. Uh Chris Rock was great to meet. I'd never met him. That was good. I got to see his his Broadway stuff was great. Yeah, I see a couple of times. Like, what was it called? Motherfucker with a hat, I think was the name of the show. <laughs> he was good. And it and it was funny because he was so honest. He was like, I sucked. I was terrible as an actor before. Like all that shit I did. Like, you know, he's funny on stage, we know that, but doing it for film or doing it for TV is different than, you know, just you talking. And man, he put he put his time into it and he was good in that show. I really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. It was uh now he's doing horror movies. So he's showing his he's showing his range. You can do it all what is a you know a scenario in your career maybe it's pretty recent or maybe it's earlier on where basically you know everyone's telling you or a boss or something is telling you this is the way you got to do it this is the this is how it has to be done and then you kind of said well I'm going to do it this way and ultimately you'll see that you know I'm right
3: <laughs> i don't <laughs> know if the conversation went precisely like that but are you going back to like the old sports center. I was definitely, and I wasn't the only one. Stewart got called in a few times as well. And, you know, you just like any other job, you learn how to survive in the job, yet keep true to your constitution, I guess, is the best way to say it. Like Stuart was very smart about it. What he would do is throw in a whole bunch of facts. So they couldn't get them on. You didn't say enough sports facts. You didn't supply enough hardcore sporty stuff. And then he'd do his, you know, his personality. He'd drop in his booyahs and whatnot. I kind of same neighborhood, or you'd pretend like, yes, I will, I will be more serious for uh, two shows. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I it was never a thing where I was trying to like, hey, I'm right and you're wrong. It wasn't like I, I think you can only do things, you know, if if somebody paid you enough money and said you are going to do this thing, whatever that you're. I'm now doing the weather at ESPN, having no meteorological experience right they paid me enough to be the weatherman i i might have said yes i don't know i probably would have clowned around on fifth day you know i probably couldn't have done it the whole time um that's not the greatest example but yeah i mean i think in general i followed most of the rules i you know i didn't always fill out the compliance training forms but i also never violated the compliance training laws so there
2: So after a great multiple decade run with ESPN earlier this year, you and the company parted ways and uh, it was something that kind of made headlines at the time. Uh, A lot of it was pertaining to how you were being used, uh, the financial figures involved, but we won't get to that. Um, Just wanted to say that you did a lot of tremendous work at ESPN. Obviously life moves on. Places change over the years. You made great friends there. I'm sure you Still stay in touch with everybody. So uh, on behalf of Nick and I, you know, congratulations on a really, really terrific career there. But there's also stuff that you did uh, this summer. And uh, it was very, very difficult this year with the Olympics, uh, with the pandemic, not having people in the stands there uh, in Tokyo. Although a lot of people still did a great job and uh, you were doing streaming coverage. Uh, for NBC and Peacock. So uh, why don't you tell us how that ultimately came about and uh, why you decided to do that and if you felt like covering the Olympics under the circumstances, uh, given everything going on, uh, did that ultimately provide a challenge for you that you kind of wanted to take on knowing uh, the circumstance of, of what was happening there in Japan?
3: Yeah, I mean, we did it from uh, Stamford, Connecticut. So we were, you know, 13,000 miles away. We're doing it for Peacock. We'd come on at seven 30 Eastern till midnight. Torrico and the guys were NBC regular at eight. So we would kind of preview what they're going to do and then kind of do our thing. Um, I don't know the pandemic, obviously it's still very serious and we still have those issues, uh, that we're facing, not quite getting through it the way we should. Um, I don't know that it affected Because we were so far away anyway. Had there been fans or had there not been fans, I think our role would have been quite similar doing it from there. Now, had there not been the pandemic or things had been more clear, who knows, maybe they would have sent us there as well. You know, that maybe was in the cards originally. Um, It's funny, they called me, I think it was like one day after I put on Twitter that I was leaving ESPN. Because when I announced that I was leaving, I still had eight more sports centers to do. It was May 10th, I still remember the date. And I was leaving May 24th that was on my schedule you know like each month you know you're doing three days here and two days there and i had to add up to a certain number for the year um they basically set sort of an over under on my worth and i decided i was going to go play the over and it wasn't with any malice or you know i wish them all well i got a million friends there they do great stuff they're going to continue to do great stuff it was just decided i was worth this much right here to do this thing that they wanted me to keep doing and i Said I'm going to go see if I can beat your number doing other things. And NBC called like a day later. So I guess with Gretchen, my wife, I, we talked about a million times, obviously. And it was kind of like, all right, let's just get through. What was it? May let's get through May. All right. NBC deal just got us through May. Hey, I got a commercial for Olipop that gets us through June (laughs) Uh, EA sports uh, for the Madden release. I did a commercial for them we'll call that uh august you know so i just kind of kept on chipping away at try to stay so we're not you know going in the hole or or too far in debt we got stuff to pay for we got kids in college and we want to take a vacation and i wanted to get back out to seattle i hadn't been there the whole time during the pandemic um so we just kind of like got through the summer and at the same time we're, we're talking with different companies about what i might do as a you know quote unquote more permanent replacement job. Um, And I ended up doing, I'm happy to be with Caesars. I'm doing uh, work for them, promotional and commercial work and little videos, appearances, little of this, little of that. Uh, Caesars getting into the whole sports betting app world as as many are. And that just happened in the last week, literally, or 12 days ago or something like that. I think we announced it about a week ago.
1: So with Caesars real quick, does that mean if you go to Las Vegas, you have free access to a Caesars buffet?
3: Um, So far. And it's a good buffet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we I stand, heard. <laughs> I will stand by the Caesars buffet against all others. Uh, it's What's the name of that place? I should know the name, and I'm forgetting the name. It has a fancy name. Uh, it's, it's right off the lobby. Um, uh, I don't have the name. I don't know the name of it, but it's a nice name. Whatever the <laughs> name is, it's befitting of a great buffet. Let's just say that. I mean, it's a ridiculous buffet. See, I went to college at UNLV, and to survive, where we had very little money, we would go to like the Stardust Casino buffet at the time. This is so long ago. It was literally like a dollar ninety-nine for two dollars and a little small tip that we could afford. You could sit there and eat for two hours, you know. And there were other cheaper buffets. There were 99 cent buffets. That was below us. We went for the dollar ninety-nine buffet. Uh now it's funny, Vegas has changed where it all they used to give everything away, right? The hotels were almost free, the food was almost free, and now. Because the food is so good. I mean, we ate at Nobu. We ate at all these cool places on this recent trip I made. It's, it's changed, but it's still fun. I, I feel at home. I did that in my little introductory video with them about, isn't it funny? I, I visited Vegas as a nine-year-old with my dad. I remember going to the first day of school that year, the teacher's like, so what everybody do this summer? And I'm um, one kid went to church camp, another kid, you know, scouting trip. And I'm like, yeah, my dad took me to Vegas and my parents were like, Oh God, what's just happened here. But, um, I then ended up playing football and going to school and graduating, getting a degree from UNLV. And there, there's always been, there's something about that town. I'm definitely a West coast guy, you know, nothing against the East, but you know, grew up in Seattle, California was in my life, Oregon, like Hawaii, like that, that's my part of the world that is more comfortable to me. Right. That's where I'm from. And then going to school in Vegas, obviously the whole Western us. So, I'm happy to be back to associate with Caesars and the town. I got to usher fights. I did the Ollie Holmes fight back in 1980. I did Leonard, uh, Leonard Benitez, Leonard Hearns, Holmes Cooney. I'm forgetting some others, but those were the days. And by the way, the Ali documentary on PBS, just a little free shout out for Ken Burns.
0: Yeah. Made, I've
3: seen the first, first two. It's there's so much in it. I thought I knew a, a lot about Ali in that period of time. And, how it all, all the intricacies. And I was like, Whoa, I never heard that one. So yeah. Ken Burns is kind of a master. Here's my wife, Gretchen. Let's take time out for Gretchen. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Gretchen, I'm still doing the podcast. Are you coming home for Jim Crithers meeting? Okay. Come home. I love you. Bye. That's Gretchen. Just letting her know that I love her. She'll be home soon. Um, it's a very good segue because we were going to yeah. get
2: into that at the very, very end. And we're coming yeah. up to the very, very end.
3: So. <laughs> I never answered. I didn't know what the question was. Peacock Olympic Yeah. It was fun. Kerry champion. And I had a good time. Um, it, the shows were long and I, and I kept on trying to say to people when, when people who are on TV or in radio or whatever, you know, I'm not the only one who's ever said it it's like, Oh my God, it was a four hour show as though everybody says to feel sorry for us. Just, you know, like no, <laughs> you. there's other people who are out of work you know, there's food insecurity issues. There's also, you know, so I always try to have a good head about, I'm never asking for sympathy. I'm just expressing that four and a half hours of live television, which is really more like five and a half. Cause you come out early, a couple of rehearsal things, you know, for 17 straight nights, it, we were tired. It was tiring. However, I'm glad I did it. And I'm looking at all the fun stuff we did. I'm not like thinking of how tired we were or how, how much energy it took, but you just have, like, if you've done anything live, And you really are live, like we're technically live here, but you guys can always edit things. And there's no pressure that, I don't know, feels like I'm talking to two guys, doesn't feel like I'm broadcasting to the world, even though ultimately that's what we are really doing, right? We, you know, potentially 7 billion people could watch this. That's very likely. Yeah. So it's kind of funny, it's all psychological because we're communicating, doing an interview that could be live, if it were, and it would be the same pressure if there were any, you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it's kind of all in your head. Cause like, Oh, we were on TV doing the Olympics. We have to be very good. You know, like Not really, you know, we we're just on the internet and we could have just done whatever, but they led us to NBC's credit. I really liked what a free reign, you know, approach they gave us. They, I didn't get one single comment. Hey, can you kind of like back it off a bit? You're getting a little too wild. It's like, no, keep, be you have fun. We had great guests. We had Amit from Pearl Jam. We had, Jamal Crawford, Sue Bird, Bill Walton, Dale Earnhardt. Uh, I'm leaving out 500 other great guests we had, but they let us kind of experiment and kind of make up a new show each night. So the first night was not terrible, but it wasn't nearly as good as the 15th night, right? Where we got a rhythm with each other and learning how to work with you know, new people. So it, it was fun. I'm glad I did it. Uh, if I did it again, I'd, I'd ask that the shows be a little shorter and uh we'll see what we might be
1: seeing you uh, again real soon February. Well,
3: the only problem with that is it it conflicts with super bowl week and i think i'll be doing something for caesars because uh i'm with them so we'll see maybe there's a role i can still do um on a short like a shortened basis or something
2: i don't know Yeah, that would be really really cool and uh our listeners will they'll get a kick out of you um and the Caesar stuff. You know, I'm sure that hasn't really been, you know, I'm sure not a lot of people have heard about that yet. So,
3: no, yeah, so it, it did. You know, we threw it out on a Tuesday, and you know, I'm not sure how many people will really know, but I, you know, as I start doing stuff for them, it'll be quite obvious I'm doing stuff for them. I actually threw that out as an idea. What if we never announce that I'm with you? I just start doing stuff for you. It's kind of the anti promo. Um, but they wanted to do more official. So I had fun. I did a, a fun little retelling of you know me being a child we showed pictures of me at eight and nine years old me in college and now look where i am i'm back here like you know like when a dog finds its way home you know you read those stories on the internet
2: <laughs> that is true all right kenny last question before we let you go uh you were on the phone before with your wife uh, uh usually what nick and i do here is kind of wrap up everything always give our guests the last words if there's anything else you would like to share promote so uh, what we'll do is we'll combine uh, the work that you and your wife do with your charity uh, your foundation run freely uh, and we'll kind of combine this into one thing so uh, we wanted to thank you you gave us a lot of extra time which we certainly appreciate it does not go over our heads Uh, you gave us a lot of really really great stories a lot of funny stories and Naturally, you're one of the funniest guys who's ever worked at ESPN. So that's something that's not a surprise to us. But uh, if there's anything else on top of that that you would like to share, promote, you know, go right ahead. But uh, would love for you to talk about you and your wife and run freely uh, as we wrap up this
3: podcast. So thanks again, Kenny. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it. We, uh, we have a dining room table that's for sale, if anyone would like to. <laughs> By the curb and then just Venmo us the money for that because we're doing reconstruction. That's the smallest item, but I just wanted to get the dining room table sale. It's available. It's round uh, glass top, not bad. We're going to either give it away, throw it away. I don't want to throw it away. I don't, I like, I seriously, I have an ethic about, I hate wasted food. I hate wasted, like why wouldn't we, we got so many clothes she's never gonna wear all those clothes. Like why don't we give them to people who need to wear those clothes or we need, need clothes to wear, right? So, uh, I actually did that a couple different times where I like would look at my closet, like, why the fuck do I have 27 suits? Who the fuck needs 27 suits? Like, I I need three suits, five suits max, right? I can wear the same gray suit. In fact, I did it more than once where I wore literally on purpose as a joke. I'm literally going to wear the same gray suit, like seven straight shows on SportsCenter and change ties, obviously, and whatnot. And nobody said a word. It was just my personal, like, isn't this stupid that nobody cares? A girl could never get away with it. That's how sexist it all is, right? Like a, a woman, I should say. I just call guys, guys, and girls, girls. Um, yeah, they get they get killed. If, you, if a girl wore the same dress in a two-month period, they'd probably get called out, right? Certainly not the same dress seven days in a row. Like, uh, this, I still haven't got to my parts. Uh, I'm hoping people listen to Sarah Kinzior. Uh, follow her on Twitter or her podcast, Gaslit Nation with Andrea Chalupa. They're telling true things. Support uh, Black Voters Matter and Fair Fight. Try to keep our voting rights uh, for our brothers and sisters who are not getting equal rights. Um, Our foundation is called Run Freely, so it's R-U-N-F-R-E-E-L-Y. Runfreely.org. So, long story short, I ruined my ankle in football 1980. It's on the internet. It's on my website too um, for the foundation and. You know, that was a long time ago and year after year, surgery after surgery, I just kept slowing down and my ankle kept on tightening up where I have almost no motion to it. So I can't do very much athletically without some support, which I found. There's a guy in Gig Harbor, Washington named Ryan Blanc, and he invented this incredible device that's on the website called Exosim, and you stick it on and now you can do anything. Like I ran on the first day with no pain, you know, like 15 miles an hour, day one, like He said, give it a try. See what you can do. And I started crying for like two hours. Couldn't believe, you know, this gift that I had been given and and how it was going to change my life. I can play flag football. I can hike with Gretchen dog walks. I can run sprints. I can do anything. And we immediately said, let's do something good with it. So we started a foundation and I just got on the text uh, with the guy just yesterday. We're trying to approve the next veteran. We give these uh, devices to veterans who need them. So I think what is it, September, I think we've been going for three years, about three years in a month. And we have almost averaged one a month. I think we're just shy of that. But it really changes people's lives. If you look at the website or see my Twitter, I put my pinned tweet tells the story of, of one particular veteran who's like, you guys changed my life. Like I can do stuff I couldn't do. We got another girl who got a job two weeks afterwards. She was unemployed because she was in such pain. She couldn't stand on her feet. She couldn't do a job. And she was a nurse. And she got the brace and now she's working. And one lady gave away her wheelchair and her walker like to somebody who needs it because she doesn't. So it really is cool and seeing how people's lives are being changed. And it takes almost no effort. I I do a few tweets. I you know bug people for sending twenty bucks. Jamal Crawford gave twenty-seven thousand dollars as a uh you know, sort of a tribute to my twenty-seven years at ESPN. I pointed out it was actually 27 years 1 month if you want to kick in somebody should <laughs> somebody should sign Jamal Crawford for this season Kenny Oh man I think he can still play and I think he still wants to play I don't know if it's going to happen it's been a while you know like there, there's no I saw him play in the crossover the you know his his pro am tournament in Seattle in the summer he looks no different his face looks like he's 18 his body still does and he can still play and players love him. And he's so respected. Like, I don't know how there isn't one team that would say, man, he'd be a good influence on the young kids. He might get his 10 points in the third quarter. Like what, what's not to like there. If he doesn't get a chance, then he'll do great at whatever he's doing. You know, I, whether it's analysts where he runs a podcast, he's coaching his kids, he's helping in the Seattle community. Like he's already going to do good things outside of basketball, but I wish somebody would give him one more shot. Cause I'd love to see him back on the, NBA court, he got a chance in the bubble with yeah. New Jersey or Brooklyn. But remember, he got hurt, like, literally the first game. He, like, made a move and he just pulled something. And it wasn't because he was out of shape. You know, it happens. You know, you pull muscles. But I hope – I hope he gets another run. Isaiah Thomas, same thing, out of Tacoma. Um, yeah, we're, we're always rooting for our guys out there and girls. Yeah. Seattle Storm. I Super pumped team. for the Kraken this season. I know. That's going to be kind of fun. I – I need to get deeper into it. Like hockey's never been my thing. Like I, you know, you can't love everything. I love football and horse racing and NBA and base hockey was always down the list a bit just cause I didn't grow up with it. It was no offense to the sport. And I've gotten to know it better through my guys, you know, Levy and, and, and Melrose and, and some Bouchergras, some of the others, you know, like, you know, hardcore hockey fans. So I, I, my game rose up as far as my knowledge and, and ability to appreciate it, but it's not, you know, I grew up with football. There, there's no way to replace look what your first love is that way
1: yeah no doubt about it hopefully the supersonics are return at some point
3: i, I want I, I we got the new joint we got the climate pledge arena normal yep, play there the kraken will play there and let's let's bring an nba team i'd like to see an expansion thanks kenny we appreciate thanks, it. Kenny. That's <laughs> do it
1: for our episode here with kenny main for for joe calabrese so i nick durst and this has
2: been you no wow ah, all right
0: Every day, thousands of hackers try to steal your crypto. But Arculus uses air-gapped technology by forming a protective barrier that insulates you from hackers and secures your crypto. Order yours at GetArculus.com.